Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 17 as we get into the Word this morning into prayer. And we have our statement up here. Did you bring your Bibles? Yes. Amen. Let's make our, <coughs> excuse me, our declaration this morning if you guys got it. Amen. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you in the next few moments we have together by your spirit. You will speak to each and every one of our heart. Lord, we have an anticipation and an expectation for 2019 for this year and what you would do in us and what you desire to do through us for your glory. Holy Spirit, bring clarity and understanding to our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, somebody said? Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. This morning, I just want to encourage you as we get into this. And, and I shared in first service, but so many times I was, I was going back and uh, just looking at and dug out one of my old binders and just kind of popping through. Actually, I was looking for some space and I thought I had a binder over there that was empty and I pulled out this one. This is before for, in 2000, year 2000, I started printing the outlines that we handed to you. So this binder contains messages that I was preaching out of over 20 years ago. But I went through and just went back to an area that had to do with attitude here and just in this principle, uh, just as we go into a new year, how many know attitude affects everything? It just our attitude affects everything. But I'll give you these three concepts around that. Attitude affects your outlook. Your outlook affects your performance. And your performance determines your results. Amen? And so you live with the results. So if I have a bad attitude, then I have a bad outlook about everything. And I have poor performance. And if I have poor performance, then I'm going to get poor results. Amen? But one thing that happens <clears throat> when we give ourselves to prayer and fasting, it adjusts our attitude. <clears throat> How many know that when you have a bad attitude, one of the least things you want to do is pray? If you have a bad attitude, bad attitude towards somebody, one of the least things you want to do is pray for that somebody. So attitude affects everything, but prayer and fasting brings that into, brings our attitude back into alignment and uh, it's able to cause us to have a better result than what we're after. And then just let me say this to you again about when it comes to prayer and not being discouraged when it comes to prayer. And the Lord gave this to me and I wrote it out a while back and shared it with you. But I felt like I he would have me repeat it again. Because the enemy uses the delay that comes sometimes to our answers in prayer to discourage us and move us off of our faith. Sometimes we think we live in such an instantaneous world. We think that answers should just come automatically. Amen. And uh, part of that, they're saying even some of our generation and a lot of us, we, every, everything they do, the promise is that things are going to come to us faster. Everything makes life faster, easier, quicker. But God doesn't always answer every prayer faster. There's no way to get on fast answer with God. You just get on His timing. Amen. And so the enemy wants you to choose to let go or give up or move off of what the Lord spoke to you and what your faith is reaching out for. But we have to choose to not let go, not give up, or settle for less. Amen? And so it's so important. And so the enemy can make you feel like your prayers are letters that have been posted to a non-existent address. 
Amen. God, did, did you get that? Did it arrive? You know, did you hear? But we want to hold on and believe that God is always working on our behalf. Amen. And so prayer and fasting helps us get our hearts and our attitude back into proper adjustment with God and that. So look at the cover of your outline. And I'm just going to share some principles that have to deal with prayer and fasting this morning and pressing into the things of God, especially going into a new year. I really don't have a theme or that. This is just what I feel in my heart personally. I believe 2019, and I'm, this is what I'm believing for, and, and I really believe it, it could be evident a little bit more, but I'm believing for renewal and restoration. Amen. There's some things that we need to renew, and we hear a lot of talk about revival, but when revival moves into the church, revival comes in, it's just renewal. We're just redoing. It's not something new. It is renewing things. And even in Isaiah, God, God said, I will restore paths to dwell in. I will renew things. And, and he brings us back to where we should be in our relationship. The Bible tells us even that we're to return to our first love, if you would. So there's a renewing of our heart, our affection. And then there's a restoration of things. Restoration of our commitment. Restoration to our zeal, to our passion for God. Can you say amen? And so in those areas, I'm believing for some of those things because I believe God's heart is always to forgive and to restore. I'll never forget when we first started out in the ministry, we had a challenge going there and, uh, and, and at our first senior pastorate, we'd been on staff for two years and then God opened the door for us to take our first church. And within just a couple weeks of arriving there and we're kind of unpacking, getting settled in and a gentleman came in and he goes, I just thought I'd let you know I'm having an affair with one of the elder's wives. I said, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me today. I feel really blessed. And, uh, but anyway, so I called my pastor and I said, well, Brotherhood, wh what do I do? And Brotherhood said this. He said, son, you can never take sides. You don't get to take sides. Because the heart of God is always to forgive and to restore. And he spoke that truth into my life. And he says, that's what you're supposed to walk. You're supposed to walk to bring people into forgiveness and hopefully into restoration. Amen. You don't want marriages to be lost. Come on. You want people to be able to forgive and to restore. Amen. That's the gospel. How many of you are glad that God has shown you forgiveness and restoration? And so with the same thing he's shown to us, that's how we're supposed to minister to others. And I believe that's who God is. And pastor said, he says, you know what, son, you, you, you're probably going to end up losing one, if not both of these families. It's just a hard situation. Well, by God's grace, we, we're able to keep them both. And they both kept their marriages. Praise the Lord. Amen. So God is good. Can you say amen? But in the same area. So we have to hold on to that and understand that that's God's heart. I believe 2019 will be a year for renewal and restoration on many levels in the lives of God's people and in the church as a whole. If you sense that God has more for your life, then 21 days of prayer is a great, great play to start believing him for all that he has for you. Believe that God has more for you, but how do I press into it? Give yourself to a season of seeking him. See, fasting and prayer is when we put seeking God first into practice. And when you do this, you will see God working on your behalf like never before. It's amazing what happens when you put God first. He begins to move in a greater measure in your life. You will see a difference in your relationship, your work, your family, and every other area of your life. Why? Because you can't pray and you can't earnestly go after God without having the Holy Spirit change your attitude. 
and your perspective and your viewpoint on all these areas of life. And then you'll be best able to spread his love to others. And so Matthew chapter 17, Jesus gives us the cure for little faith. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. I don't have time to read it all. I'll give you the, the, I'll encapsulate it to you this way. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. They see the glory. Peter's up there wanting to build three temples to Jesus, to Moses, and Elijah, and all this stuff. Then they come back down. And now we get all kinds of crazy ideas when we see the glory of God. Amen. So anyway, then they come back down, and uh, they came, and here's the rest of the disciples waiting for them, and this Father has brought his son who has an epileptic attack, but it's a demonic uh, a spirit that's in, inflicting him and oppressing him. And uh, so he says, hey, I brought my son to your disciples, expecting them to be able to cast him out, expecting you would have trained them to do what you're doing. Amen. And he said, but they weren't able to. And so Jesus says, oh, faithless. Look at verse uh, 17. Then Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. So the father said, my son has epilepsy. But Jesus rebuked a spirit that was controlling this young man's life and manifesting in epileptic fits. Are you doing all right? See, we don't preach a lot about that today. We don't hear a lot about demonic oppression. But I shared with you last week how, how, how John G. Lake, when he read Acts 10, 38, how Jesus went about doing good. Jesus, how God anointed Jesus, his son, with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And when he read that, it leaped up on the inside of him that the devil is oppressing my wife. This sickness is the devil oppressing her life. And he says, I have authority over the devil. I'm not going to allow this to happen. So what he read changes attitude, his attitude changes outlook, and his outlook changed his performance, and his performance changed the results that he got, and his wife got healed. Amen. And so when we hear the word of God and it changes our outlook and our attitude and everything, and then it changes how we walk our performance. So Jesus here is announcing that this is the demonic power. And we understand when we change our attitude about this, then it'll change our outlook and we won't put up with it. And we'll exercise the authority that he's given to us. But read on a little bit further. Then the disciples in verse 19 came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said, because of your unbelief belief. Now that's not very encouraging today. Just to look at somebody, how come I'm not seeing an answer? How come God's not working my life? Because of your unbelief. So what do we do? How do you, what's secure for unbelief? How aggressively do we attack unbelief in our life? Most of the time we just rationalize it away. We put it in the butt category that we talked last week and we're content to have a big butt of unbelief. Moving right along. But he says, but because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not go out except by fasting and prayer. So the antidote to unbelief is prayer and fasting. Because any attitude that I have that is a can, it won't happen, that is unbelief around the word of God, is something that... That has to be attacked with prayer and fasting. Can you say amen? So I have to aggressively move in that area. So there's a need for us to take God seriously in our heart and to generate to a greater degree than ever before. There are times when the necessity for real faith arises 
in our lives that goes beyond Sunday morning believing and following faith. It, it's cool. We can have Sunday morning faith. I have to believe God. I'm following God. But really, in the crucial areas of my life, we're feeling kind of helpless. So there's a time where faith has to go to another level. These are the times when real faith that can produce real answers from God is needed. I believe we're moving into those days. I've been there, they've always been there, but there's something that comes up where we just go as believer, hey, I'm ready to walk in real faith. I'm ready to see answers. I, I don't want to go, hey, how come we couldn't do it? No, I want to believe God to be able to do the things that he said we could do. Can you say amen? So God's truth is this. It is just this. He answers prayer. Say this with me. He answers prayer. Amen. Amen. God answers prayer. Prayer and fasting brings renewal and restoration to our faith. See, God holds all good in his hands. The good that comes to us through the Lord Jesus, through his anointing, sacrifice, and asking in his name. Communion, we seal that this morning. We partake of his body and of his blood, but with that is all the benefits that we have in covenant that are rightfully ours, and we're able to call on those benefits in his name. Are you with me? Amen. So God is so much involved in prayer and hearing and answering that all of his attributes and his whole being are centered in this truth. It distinguishes him as wonderfully good and powerfully attractive in his nature. God's truthfulness is at stake in his engagement with us in answers to our prayer. His wisdom, his truth, and his goodness are involved. You see, God is true, and he always answers the prayers of his children that earnestly seek him. And it doesn't matter if it's time. I think sometimes we forget that we were created for His glory, not Him for ours. And so when I understand that God always worked, you remember that Lazarus was dead and Jesus got the news. And the Bible said that He tarried. And then when He got there, Mary and Martha said, Oh, if you would have been here, He wouldn't have died and you could have healed Him. And so their concept was you would have done it our way and we would have felt better about the whole situation. But Jesus, when He got the news, He told His disciples, said, This sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. And what he means by that is that God doesn't use sickness, but he said God's going to turn this thing around. So Jesus waited until Lazarus had been dead for four days. That's beyond any questionable doubt that the dude was dead. And so when he showed up, when he raised him, he said, this is it. Didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? And so he calls him forth from the tomb, and God is glorified by the way the answer came about. So many times when we're getting frustrated about the time, God is not saying no. He's working it out in a way that he gets glory for working through our lives. Are you with me? And so when I just said about God, I, I believe your answer, you're moving, and thank you, God, it's going to come about in a way when you get the credit and you get the glory. Father, be glorified through my life. Amen? Just believe God that he wants a moving on your behalf. See, we must take God seriously if we desire to see the fruit of real faith in our life. There's a necessity for true earnestness in our seeking of him. Most of us know what it means to go after something. People have asked me all the years, how'd you get that hot chick for a wife? I get that question a lot. Amen. I said, I pursued her. I went after her. I didn't look at anybody else. I just looked at her. And I went after her. Are you with me? Pursuit changes everything. 
Pursuit changes time. And if you're wise, guys, young guys, if you're wise, if you see a hot chick or a young lady who is available, you'll pursue her. Well, what if she says no? That part of the definition of pursuit. <laughs> Keep pressing. Don't lose your press. Amen. Moving right along. That's enough of my marriage counseling for this morning. Amen. But in, so, but, but in pursuing, I had to say no to other things. In order to say yes to her, I had to let go of other desire, other area. Are you listening to me? So we know that in life we deal with it, what it means to go after something, a job, a relationship, a goal, a dream, or a desire. We know what it means to give things up, to attain something else. It's called the law of reciprocity, and we have applied it in life. Now we need to apply it in our faith for renewal and restoration. When you begin to pray, say, God, I'm going to let go of something else. I'm just going to pursue God. I'm going to get back to just desiring to know Him in a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you can get your relationship better with God. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. The great thing about marriage, I'm not going to tell off on Walt and Barbara Jack because Barbara will beat me up after service. But, uh, and that, but they've been married a long time because they've desired that. And the more, but then the reason you stay married as long as they've been married is just because of this. The reason you make it I did, well, no, I'm only, I just stay. The reason, <laughs> the reason you make it is because they're still pursuing each other. They're still loving each other. They're still going after each other. They're still in romance with each other. They're doing all right. And so they continually build their relationship so they have a relationship that endures. It doesn't mean they haven't had hard time. Come on, your walk with God is a relationship that goes through challenges, it goes through struggles, it goes through hard times, but you still keep pursuing that relationship. Are you with me? You still keep going after it. See, the disciples asked Jesus why they weren't successful. The message Bible said it like this. It said, because you're not taking God seriously. Jesus just said, hey, you're not taking this seriously, God. Guys, listen, if, if I could, I'm just going to skip through this a little bit. But if you go back to Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus called his disciples to him. And he gave them power and authority. And he sent them out to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to cast out devils. And then he called the 70, gave them the same power and authority to go out. They come back and they report to him, even demons are subject in your name. We did the work. We laid hands on the sick. People were healed. People were delivered. And we told them the kingdom had come to them. So they had walked in this power but somewhere along the line they had lost their press they'd just become comfortable they've been with Jesus several years now they're relying more and more upon him to do it all and so they're not really pressing in the things of God and Jesus said hey guys you're not taking this serious you're not taking God seriously you're not really pressing in to your relationship with God look at the bottom of the page the disciples had gotten comfortable even after they had walked in the power of God, they had lost their press. They were following but not pressing into the depths of relationship that had been offered to them. Because of this, they suffered a public humiliation of not being able to help the man and his son. We must never let failure produce or become an excuse for our lives. Walking by faith, if we fail in our faith walk and test, never let that become an excuse for our lives and settle into accepting failure. You see, history has shown us that that has been the approach, though. 
When we experience failure, we too readily capitulate back to unbelief. Because man's effort have failed in the process of the, in the presence of the multitude, they have given up and created theologies that excuse them, and they settle for little faith. There's a lot of theology out there today that will tell you God doesn't do miracles, don't expect great things from God. You know, we're just kind of holding out to the end. They give us a pie-in-the-sky faith. Are you with me? But Jesus said, hey, take, press into this, go after the things of God. So we don't want to do that. The disciples did not look for an excuse, but they asked why. Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? Jesus said, you're not taking this seriously. Go after God. If you just have faith as a poppy seed, the message Bible says, you'll say to a mountain and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Come on, that's the words of Jesus to you and to me. But in order to walk in that, it costs you something. It doesn't just jump on you by accident. You don't just wake up in the morning and go and have great faith. Great faith is something you pursue. You build up. Even listen to what praying in the Holy Ghost does. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude chapter 1 verse 20 just says this. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Building up your most holy faith. So, so I, I have to... Keep, I have to purpose to keep myself in God's love. And then I build up my faith by praying in the Spirit. Amen. And so that, that's something that you don't just let slip, but you have to keep pressing, keep pursuing. Are you with me this morning? So what do we do? So sometimes when we do that, it's like Sean said about keeping resolutions. We start a year. So I don't know about you. I want to start and then run all the way through the year. Just keep going, keep pressing, keep believing, going after God. Hallelujah. So think about it. They finally made it. We can too. Look at the last page of your outline there. So what are we doing? Here at Solid Rock Faith Center, when it comes to prayer, we're making it a priority to seek God first in prayer and fasting at the beginning of 2019 for a year of renewal and restoration. We're collectively taking these next 21 days to faithfully seek God as a church. Come on, we're just going to take him serious. Amen? Take him serious. Let me just throw this in here. What is fasting? Fasting is saying no to something else to say yes to something else. I'm not going to eat bread, regular bread. I'm going to eat the bread of life. Amen. I'm going to give up something for something else. It's denying something to pursue something else. And I know that it's connected to the law of reciprocity, that if I do that, I receive the reward. Amen. And I was driving up this morning, just meditating over my message, and I'm coming down. I get by the stoplight here on Missouri Flat Road, and, and I, I just felt the Spirit of God say this, because I hear people say all the time, I just can't fast. I just can't fast. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. He said, my people fast all the time. They're fasting all the time. He says, the only thing they're fasting is the bread of life. Says my word, Jesus said, Deuteronomy 4 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's a scripture that Jesus quoted to the devil when the devil said, you, You've been out here 40 days, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down. Today you partook of his body and of his blood in symbol, but we're declaring that, that this really is a living bread bread but see if I don't read the word on a regular basis I'm just fasting the word 
So the question is, how long of a fast have you been on? I know I'm meddling again. I'm sorry. It's my job. Amen. Hallelujah. You got to love me anyway. Amen. So watch it. See, when it comes to this, so we're taking these days to do that. And fasting, just say, hey, what do you do? I challenge the people in first service. I'll challenge you the same way. Tonight, we're going to have prayer. We're going to have three nights of corporate prayer. Tonight at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7 for one hour. Tomorrow night from 7 to 8 for one hour. And Tuesday night from 7 to 8 for one hour. And what, the, what does that mean? It means you would have to fast what you regularly do on Sunday night. What's your Sunday night routine? Give that up to be here for one hour. The one-hour fast on Sunday night, a one-hour fast on Tuesday night, and a one-hour on Monday night and on Tuesday night. It's just giving up that routine, giving that up to do this for an hour, believing that if we come together and pray for one another with one another, that the law of reciprocity kicks in. As the worship team comes back, let me close with these scriptures. You see, if you believe that God has renewal and restoration for you, then 21 days of prayer and fasting is a great place to start believing in the great things that God has planned for your life. Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount that there are three spiritual disciplines that God rewards openly when done properly. In a spirit of meekness and humility, those are giving, praying, and fasting. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet. And pray. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you give, give like you gave this morning. One reason we collect like this, we give. Because when we meet the needs with families or doing another thing, no one person is getting the glory. It's been done in secret. Are you with me? And then God's going to receive the glory for that. And, but it says that when you give and you give, when you pray right and when you give right, God sees in secret and you did it in secret. But He rewards you openly and then jesus says when you fast don't be like the hypocrite who make a big scene out of fasting but he says wash yourself and bathe yourself present yourself so you don't appear to be fasting and god who sees in secret will reward you openly so jesus said there's an open reward connected to your prayer life to your giving life and to your fasting life because there are three spiritual disciplines that we apply to our life it takes discipline to pray it takes discipline to give. The reason most people don't, aren't givers the way they should be is because we have no discipline in the way we handle our finances. I'll let that pause for a minute. See, if you say, I don't know where my money goes, that's not discipline. That's bad management. Amen. And so to put myself on a budget, to put myself on restriction, to take away impulse spending. Amen. And to have a goal to discipline myself, to be a good steward. Amen. In those areas. But then when it comes to fasting, fasting is a discipline. That means I have to take authority. Paul said, I bring my body into subjection. I, I, I discipline myself in order to do that. I don't let my body tell me what to do. I shared in first service, Buck keeps candy on my, on my office up here. When he comes to clean the church, he'll put, so I have these Werther's, you know, caramel-filled candies on my little desk and the bowl. And first service, I did before service, I'm coming down, and I walked by, and my mouth was dry, and I reached down, about put a bunch of them in my pocket. I thought, wait a minute, I'm fasting today. I'll catch you guys later. Amen. So I disciplined myself over my candy. Amen. But 
but just in that area, but you have, you just, it's just saying no. Are you listening to me? It's just saying no. No, body, you're not going to do that. And, and then you never negotiate. Well, it's not really food. It's just candy, and your mouth is really dry. Your body has a great argument. Your body can talk you into anything. And let me just share with you, because I haven't given a lot of instructions on how to fast. If you have medical reasons, you can research online. If you have access to the Internet, you can research how to do a Daniel fast. Where you can still, if you need nourishment for medication, doing those things, you can do that. The other part of that is, is that something that I do, I, is I eat one meal a day for the 21 days. So you can do that. You can fast that way. If you want to do a complete fast and not eat anything for several days, you can do that. However God directs you to do that. But sometimes as you're beginning to fast, people say, well, I start out fasting and doing that and I get hungry. Well, then drink just a little bit of chicken broth. Because just that little bit will help your stomach a little bit so you don't have irritation. Are you listening to me? If you have to, just have uh, one or two soda crackers or something like that. There's little way that you can build yourself and you can walk yourself into this season with God, not just going cold turkey. Amen? So you have wisdom, but you can at least begin with one meal. I shared with you last week, yeah, most of you, if you got six or seven hours of sleep last night, you already fasted that long. Your body survived that long without food already. So you can't you can make it a few hours without a meal. Amen? And then you could give that time to God. Are you doing okay? Hallelujah. So let me just give you these last couple little thoughts here as we close. In Acts 13, it says this that Paul and the others were there and they were fasting and praying in Antioch and they're seeking the Lord. And they were ministering to the Lord in prayer and fasting. Ministering to God in prayer and fasting, and their consecration brought about the direction of the Holy Spirit. God will clearly speak by His Spirit when we prepare our hearts before Him. We read in Matthew 17, Jesus said, Fasting and prayer is the antidote to unbelief. And then fasting and prayer will gain you an audience with God. In Acts chapter 10, I love this. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who is feared of God with all his household, who gave himself, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always and the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him Cornelius and when he observed him he was afraid and said what is it Lord so he said listen your prayers and your alms remember what you've done in prayer your prayer and your alms and your fasting God sees secretly and rewards openly amen he says they've come up before God and have for a memorial before God, you've gained God's attention. And over in verse 30, he tells Peter when Peter come, and Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. So what has actually happened, he's fasting and he's praying. And God says, your fasting and your prayer and your giving has got my attention. So I'm sending Peter to your house, and boy, I'm answering your prayer. You getting saved, your whole house is getting saved, and you're all getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo! Glory to God. So see, sometimes we're going, how do I get my family saved? How do I do that? Let me ask you this. How's your prayer? How's your giving? And how's your fasting? Because God rewards them openly. God says to Cornelius, you're getting an answer because of those three disciplines working in your life. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, Paul gives married people's instruction, couples' instruction about abstaining from their relations for a season so they can give themselves for times of prayer and fasting. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you fast, not if you fast. And in Hebrews 11:6 6 says that God is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm asking you, let's do this together. Amen? Just perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can conduct my life. I can do this. Hey, if you're working, I have to work. I work hard. I have to eat. Then eat lunch or do whatever. You can find a way to do that. You could fast at least one meal. You could change your schedule around. Figure out how to do it. But give a time of consecration to God. This is what it says. God will see and he will reward you openly. I read those scriptures and I say, that's available. Why not take advantage of that? Let's just take advantage of what God has to offer. Amen? Look over at the very back page of your outline. Because tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night, this is what we're going to be praying for. And on there, I put on there why you should fast some reason and areas there of encouragement from the scripture in that. But at the very bottom, it says tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night. We're going to be praying for us to be united together as the body of Christ in a greater measure than ever before. The Bible says in the book of Acts that on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place and in one accord. And so something happens when we come into a place of agreement and unity. Fulfilling God's purpose and plan in our lives as members of His church, bearing the burdens of each other, praying for one another, strengthening one another, encouraging one another, and comforting, excuse me, comforting one another and exhorting one another to good works and to be used by the Lord in the harvest field to win souls. How about you? I'm believing God that we could see more souls saved this year than ever before. Amen? Just believe God for a harvest. But Jesus said this. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labor. We can agree that we want to see more souls saved, but they're only going to get saved if we become soul winners. Amen? And the only way we get the courage, many people are afraid to witness. They're afraid to share their faith. So how do I overcome that fear? It's not coming from God. Amen? Because he said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we receive power to be his witness. So what I did, I pray, I attack that thing. God, I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning.